This is the Do Better Podcast with Dr. Megan Miller and Joe Smith, launching you into the future of behavior analysis. Welcome to the Do Better Podcast. Today's episode is a check-in episode covering Do Better Couch to Camp 2020, a recent post in the Do Better Facebook group, and the development of the International Behavior Analyst Board. This is Megan. And this is Joe. This is where we blast off to the final frontier in search of improving ourselves in the field of behavior analysis. Thank you for spending time with us. Now let us begin. Hey, Megan. Hey, Joe. How's it going? Oh, it's going great. Great. Um, so how are you doing? I am good. A little bit busy. <laughs> um, it's February, which is crazy. January um, seems to drag on, but then it's also crazy to me that it's February already. But um, yeah, so we're working on moving into our new house finally. And that's just hard to fit in on top of just day-to-day life. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) I'm sure that's um, difficult, like just juggling everything that you're doing and juggling moving at the same time, just to me would seem overwhelming. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) So to me, that sounds like January was the longest year for you. It, I know, right? 2020 is like the longest year yet. No, I'm really excited about 2020. Actually, there's just so many cool projects going on and I'm doing like all the things. It seems like um, there was a few rough years, a few like few years ago. And then each year is just getting better in terms of really honing in on following my passions and really just doing the things I'm passionate about. So that's been really cool. What about you? How's 2020 going for you so far? Uh, it's been going really well like so my wife and I um we just started our foster care classes this has been like yeah yeah so our first uh our first class was Wednesday it was three hours long we're super excited um so a little bit background my wife and I you know we talked about this when like before we got married about fostering and it wasn't until after we got married that we Um, sat down and talked more and it just kept on coming up and we really decided that okay we want to do this Um, we want to become foster parents to help out um, uh, kids in our area and provide a loving safe um, supportive home for them um, while they're in transition with either reunification, which is the goal of foster care, or, you know, and if reunification is impossible, then, you know, we're open to adopt adoption as well. So it's been, um, it's been quite, I mean, quite a interesting process. Um, if anyone has any questions or just 
wants to know more about foster care, you can always, you know, talk to me. I'm open about it. Um, but there's a movie that I love that is pretty close to what you would, what foster care is like. It's not a hundred percent, but it's called instant family. It has uh, uh, Mark Wahlberg in it, which is fantastic. And I, it was, it's super funny. Like I didn't know anything about it. My wife suggested it. We went to go see it as a date and it was, it it was one of the most touching and uh, funny movies I have ever watched. That's cool. Uh, yeah. So, yeah. We've had a few people in our field that are foster families. One of the um, the cool things here in Florida, but I don't, it doesn't exist anymore, but they used to have um, USF and maybe a couple of other universities had a grant with the state, you know, the courses that you're talking yeah. about. Yeah. Um, so they had a grant where they were responsible for teaching those courses. So the foster families were receiving behavior analytic training on how to be foster parents, but then the grant stopped and it, it, I don't think the funding continued for it, but I know a few people who worked on that. Um, and so they got to work with foster families and train them on, you know, using behavior analysis. That is, that, that's sad, that's sad, but that was also awesome that they provided that for a little bit. Yeah. Um, like I can see just, um, how important, like just being part of the classes and hearing the stories of, um, what these kids go through. I can totally understand. I mean, see how, um, behavior analysts could help out families and how even the classes to teach, um, parents on how to work with behaviors would be really important for them. Yeah. So I'm kind of, I'm really sad and bummed that the, <laughs> those know. grants are gone. Yeah. But I think there's still people at USF who work in that, you know, kind of arena and they've probably published books and articles and things. I just never, it's just not an area I've dove into a whole lot, but I'm sure if people that are listening are interested in finding out, you could probably do a Google Scholar search. I'll try to see for the show notes if I can find anything to share. Um, but but there's definitely there should be stuff out there. I don't think they would have done it without creating anything to document yeah, I, what they were doing. So. Uh, yeah, I'm sure there's some type of research article or just documentation on you know what kind of services they were providing and what the courses were. Um, what to expect for the courses. Yeah. So I know there was like a a, um, self-paced PowerPoint because um, Doug Kostowitz, who's up in Pennsylvania, he's at Pitt now, he used to work with it and he modified it to create parent training just in general for the families that they served. So he and I, he just shared that with me as like an example of something he had done. Obviously I can't just share that, but I do know there was at least that out there. So there's probably more resources available as well. That's awesome. And that's kind of cool that he went to, you know, University of Pitt just because I'm from that area. So that's kind of cool. (laughs) Yeah. He's a pretty cool guy. Yeah. But so you were talking about how 2020 has been such a good year for you so far, but busy, but there's a lot of things that's coming up that you're involved with that. Like for me, like just watching what's happening, I'm like, I want to know more information about this. Yep. Um, I know so, you, t- you messaged me and you were like, can you tell me more about blah, blah, blah. And I was like, I can just, I don't have time right now. <laughs> because I'm sure if, I mean, I, I sure I'm, I knew that 
I met, when I messaged you that, I was like, there's no way she's going to be able to tell me everything <laughs> um, about this. And I'm like, you know, I, and I, and I knew that, but I just want to let you know that I'm thinking about like, you know, this is cool. So, um, let's, let's just go ahead and dive into this, you know, it's good. All right. So the first thing I saw that was your, um, couch camp, um, seminar slash, um, zoom slash, uh, camp, you know, um, like summer camp I like it sounds super awesome so first what is couch to camp so it's a um it is a three-part learning experience so we have the couch which is the fully online conference um and we're going to go into more detail about these so I'll just give the short answer right now the fully online conference for two days of learning and one day of networking two is six months of coaching to learn how to apply what you what you learned in the conference. And then camp is 40 people coming together at a camp in the Poconos in September. And it'll be a mixture of different things. Again, we'll talk in more detail about what's included in each part, but that's the you know short answer. It's a conference coaching and, and a true camp. And that camp sounds awesome okay because i'm a boy scout like was a boy scout i'm an eagle scout so like you know just being at camp in the mountains you know with other people who um are just camping and having a good time that's that's right up my alley yeah so um let's go ahead and just find out more information about um couch so what is couch okay so the couch piece of it is um, the online conference. And I'm just so excited about it because I had this vision of, I want to do an online conference. We did back in June of 2019, we did an event in Virginia beach, well, Suffolk, where we did in person, but Ryan O'Donnell streamed it and people could attend via online. But I just wanted to do like fully online no in-person, just live stream, um, an online where everyone just comes, you know, from their couch. And I plan on just using my typical software, but I was talking to our web developer about it and he said, Oh, I have this, you know, really new stuff that just came out that I like, it's a Kickstarter that I'm participating in and we can use that instead. And he showed me the homepage. And as soon as I saw it, I was like, yep. (laughs) (laughs) So it's, absolutely amazing. We have screenshot examples on our website, which we'll share in the show notes, but it's a full, it's, it's literally like being at a conference. So from the moment the event starts on, um, on Friday, April 3rd, I think it is from the moment the event starts until, um, we end the event. So on Friday morning, April 3rd until, um, the fifth that night, you can pop in and out of your thing. Like there's a login and you can just pop in and out. It's not like Zoom where you have to wait for me to open a room or any meeting where you have to wait for me to open something. It's just a platform where you just log in and there's stuff happening. So even if we're not presenting for the conference, if you're wanting to like network with someone or just kind of look at the exhibitors or, you know, check things out, you can pop into the um, website and just, you know, chat with people and check out exhibitors. So it's, it's really like being at a conference. There will be presentations happening 
And those are being recorded. So if people can't attend live, they can watch the recordings. And then we have breaks for lunch. Um, and for during the lunchtime, there will be actual exhibitor booths where people can record a little um, spiel about whatever it is, like if it's a company that they um, you know, have and they're trying to hire new people or if it's a product they're selling to help make your practice better, um, all of that kind of stuff. You can go and there's an option for the exhibitors to even like share coupons or offers with you. So once you talk to them, you, um, you can click to get the offer. They can send you the offer. Then there's the networking piece of it. So while you're chatting with people, typically in a, um, you know, an online event, there's like the chat box, but this has an actual networking room where you enter the room and then you wait for someone else to join. And then it's basically like speed dating where there's a timer <laughs> set for like a minute and you talk to each other and then it randomly switches you to someone else. Um, and when you're doing that, it gives you the option, which is also kind of like some of the online dating apps I've been told where you, you, you can click if you liked the you know conversation that you were having, you could click like, yes, I want to connect with this person. And then they, if they click yes, then it'll exchange your like emails with each other so that you have like a new contact in your system. What's really cool, even when the event's over, you can log back into your account and it'll show you what event you attended. So if you attend multiple events through this platform, it'll show you, okay, you attended the Do Better Couch to Camp and you can click on that and it shows you the connections you made. So I don't know if you've ever been to a conference and met people. I get like tons of business cards. I lose them all the time. I always <laughs> forget to follow up with people. So this leaves it right there for you. You just go back in and see, oh, that was the person I was talking to about this. I'm going to you know, reach out and connect with them. So it's, it's really, especially for people that you know, live in more remote areas, maybe they've just had a child, maybe they're fostering a child, <laughs> some other life event going on where they can't physically go in person to a conference. This solves all those problems. Like you really get that full conference experience. And then we also are throwing in for our, um, we have like our main presentation. There's six hours of like true content that CE, um, you know, you can get CEs, but at night we're doing on the first night, we're going to do an ignite session where people can submit to do a five minute ignite presentation. So a lot of people here in Florida know what that is, but not necessarily everywhere else. So Ignite means um, you put your slides down and they advance on their own every 15 seconds. So it's kind of a fast, quick five-minute presentation on whatever topic you choose. So when it started in Florida, people would do actual research studies and they would share their slides and like go through a study. Now it's turned into more of like an entertainment type thing. So they might talk about anything or they might talk about something relating to behavior analysis but some people have done raps and some people have done other types of performances so <laughs> it's just a way for people besides like the presenters that are you know presenting again another opportunity to network and connect where um whatever people submit we have two hours set aside to do these ignite presentations so whatever people submit to do that they um will get an opportunity to just share you know their creativity um, with the, the rest of the people. And on the second night, we're doing an accountability activity. We haven't finalized yet what that's going to be because we're waiting to see what survey results we get from people. Um, but our accountability activity will be set up to try to help, you know, make sure you don't just learn this stuff and then do nothing with it. So something, we're going to do something for accountability at the end too. Wow. 
Yeah. And then um, the third, sorry, the third day, we're not doing any presentations, but the room's still open. So if people want to pop in and like connect further, if they didn't have time because they were busy attending the presentations, the space will be open for people to come in and still, you know, network and connect with each other. That is phenomenal. Like I have never heard of something like that. That is so unique and so um, interesting that I totally want to join. Like, I don't <laughs> care what I have to do. I'll, I'll join. Um, with the presentation, so um, if you can't be there all day, can you go, are you able to log in, watch a previous presentation, and gain that CEU? So the way that it's set up, um, we're still finalizing all the logistics, but if, say, you, you started at, like, 9 o'clock in the morning, and then you had to leave at 10, so you missed, you know, a couple hours, you, can, you will have the option to watch the recording, but I don't know if it will be through our personal website, like the Do Better website, or if it will be in the, the software that we're using for the conference. So it's there. I just don't know the exact like directions to give for that yet, but we will make sure, you know, that's clear for when people attend. So even if you only get to watch a talk for like 15 minutes, you can go back and finish watching it. Or if you miss a talk completely, the way that well, I do know for the back end of our website, the way we will have it set up for CEs is you watch it. Um, you you know there will be certain measures in place with like keywords and things like that, so that you we can ensure people watch the whole thing. So mm -hmm. you have to fill out a survey and say you know, um, and they'll they'll be like a little different. You know, I, I'm not going to say what they are because that, then people might. I don't. I hope nobody would do this, but you never know. Somebody might try to like game the system. So, yeah. um, but we will have some like unique ways, like sporadically throughout the presentation. So you really do have to listen to the whole thing to fill out your CE form and get your CEs. Nice. Nice. Because I know like I still need a couple more CEs for, um, just to have, um, for just to recertify this year. Yeah. Yep. So, um, that, it's no, a pretty that's good, um, one of the things that it's not in your questions, but I want to make sure I touch on this. One of the things that I'm super excited about and that Adam, our web developer also came up with because he's phenomenal was trying to figure out like, um, you know, we wanted to have some sort of perk for registering, especially if you did it early. Yeah. So from, um, this podcast is going to come out on February 15th. So we'll see, I might, we might release it a couple days early if we can, but, um, February 15th is the early bird registration deadline. If you register by February 15th, uh, whatever, um, level you register for, you get double points. So you're getting the CEs that you would get for the conference, but then you'll also have points in your do better account to apply towards our other courses. And we have, um, they're not, so they're still not all uploaded yet, but over in the next few months, we'll end up having over 30 different courses. Some from me, some from the do better movement last year, some from the do better movement this year. So there's a ton of different courses to choose from. And you basically get even more CEs for free because the way that our points are set up, every $10 you spend, you get a point. So for example, if you signed up for, um, even if you signed up for the, the couch, um, just the couch part, it's $150. So that would give you 15 points, um, okay. but it's double until February 15th. So you would get 30 points. Most of our CE courses are 20 to $30. So on top of like getting your conference CEs for attending our event, you'll also get free CEs by having access to some of our courses for free too. So it's kind of like a double benefit there too. 
Wow. That, now that sounds like an awesome, like still. I'm like, yeah. And if you, if people register for the higher level where they're going for the whole camp, they'll have enough points to buy probably like three or four of our courses for free. So wow. it's like you get all these other things with it. <laughs> <laughs> and that's awesome. And, ah, oh, and then also you're saving money on gas Yep. Uh, rental hotel. car, flight, <laughs> hotel, food, food um, drinks, yeah. probably because you drinks, people you get know, conferences. Um, after uh, after, I mean, um, after conference activities. I mean, you know, the whole gamut. So, I mean, you also would probably be saving a lot of money that way too by yep. attending online. And it sounds like your plat the platform that you're using is um, very interactive. And it's just like a conference. Yep. Um, so I, I could not even contain myself when he showed it to me. I was like, are you serious that something like this exists? Like, I cannot believe <laughs> yeah. this. So, yeah. That's awesome. That's, like, I'm super excited. Um, so what is a two-part? Okay. So um, the two-part is the online coaching and we've actually had a few people send questions about this. So I might have to update the website a little bit. But basically, the way we're setting up the content overall, I think this is one of your questions. So I won't go into too much detail. But we're, it's also interactive from the beginning. So we did the early registration. Part of the reason we set the deadline for February 15th is we're going to comb through whoever's registered so far by the 15th. We have a, quite a few questions we ask at registration about you know, what types of populations do you practice with? What ages do you work with? What do you perceive as the gaps in your current training? Like, what would you like to learn more about? Um, and we even have um, a survey that we're doing to find out. It's a, a form you fill out. It's um, a leadership compass where it tells you, well, it won't tell you when you fill it out, but it gives us information about whether or not someone who registers as an action person a visionary, an empathetic person, or an analytical person, or maybe a combination of some of those. And that will help us in terms of creating if we want to make any special like group activities and putting people into groups um, so that each group has one of those types of people represented. Uh, but anyway, so we're gathering quite a bit of information when you register, and then we're using that information to finalize our content for the conference and also for the coaching. So we okay. have our, our framework, and I'll talk about that more when we get to that question, but then we're really filling things in based on the early registration and what people are interested in learning more about, if it fits in, obviously, with the point of the conference. Like if somebody said they were interested in learning more about geriatrics, probably not going to happen for this conference, <laughs> what we're working on, but, um, but anyway, so the, in the coaching piece, what we will do is We'll have when the full event is finalized in terms of we've gathered that information, we finalized our topics. Um, so sometime in like early March, about a month ahead of the event, we will send out to all of the registrants and hopefully post it on our website, basically a syllabus. It's almost like a, a college course type thing. So uh, not, nothing, you know, scary or anything like that, yeah. but each week, each month we will have a broad topic. So it might be something like um, learning pictures. And we will have a list of resources, whether it's articles to read or like a webinar to watch, um, to, to review. And that's like your assignment. You need to look through that stuff. 
and then um, also try doing it with a client or two and see what issues you're running into. And then when we meet for the month, we meet as like a, in an online chat, like Zoom or something. We will meet as a group and um, discuss what issues people are facing. Obviously, maintaining confidentiality and things like that, but we will have um, you know an opportunity to get your questions answered. Like, okay, I learned this content, and now these are the struggles I'm having. Or people can share their successes, or maybe novel things that they've learned um, that they, you know, maybe they hacked it somehow and they want to share some cool trick they learned or something like that. So it'll be an opportunity to share. And then we will also do a tiny bit of, you know, only probably like 10 or 15 minutes of either discussion on that topic or like preparation for the next month. And each of the coaching topics will relate to what was initially covered in the conference. Because what I realized is a lot of the times at conferences, no matter how much time I have, it never <laughs> feels like enough time. So um if we can set time aside to like do a little bit of self teaching, but then dive in on the problem solving, then that should give people an opportunity again, to have that accountability and applying what it is that they're learning and get an opportunity to talk to people with expertise on the topic and troubleshoot it. We're also working on trying to find a couple of volunteers to help with the coaching beyond the main people helping to plan this with me um, to try to give a little bit more insight into some of the topics we want to cover. So we've reached out if there's a topic we want to cover and we can talk about it, but we know someone is better or has, you know, more experience with it. We're trying to like pull them in to participate for that, um, that part somehow, whether they record a little training or they're there live, but we will have additional people participating hopefully. That's awesome. So how can they reach you if they want to volunteer or help out? So if anybody's listening to the podcast right now and they're interested in participating from a volunteer standpoint, you can email me, um, Megan at lifetribe.us, M-E-G-A-N at lifetribe.us is the easiest way. Um, that's where I'm organizing all of the like camp stuff. <laughs> but, um, that's the easiest way. And then I can let you know, we, I'm so lucky that I have, um, it's on our website, but I have Amy Evans, who is a BCBA and a, has a, an enormous wealth of experience with precision teaching and coaching and training others. Kathy Fox, who is at Hogland Learning Center in Ohio and was one of the first people that I worked with in the field of behavior analysis, also with a really deep background in precision teaching and training others. Um, Corinne Gist, who's uh, also in Ohio, she has her PhD from Ohio State also has a really good background in precision teaching, but school psychology too, um, and training others. And then um, Emily Wilson, who's a BCBA that's in Virginia that, uh, you know, we work together at Navigation and then she has her own company now called Blossom Behavior. Um, she uh, has been, um, she's kind of been diving into a bunch of different things and has really good insight onto like some of the different topics, what would be helpful. She's not newly certified, but she's newer than I am. So it's helpful to kind of get some of that input of like, oh, these, these are the things that people might want to learn about. And then Jennifer Phelps, who's the BCBA, um, the co-founder of Life Tribe here with her husband in St. Petersburg. Um, and she has a lot of the background with like business and leadership um, and just like really getting things done well. <laughs> so <laughs> I have this phenomenal team of women that are, you know, have all 
essentially they're volunteering their time to help plan this, um, depending on like, this is not a, a cheap experience to plan. So we're all volunteering it because we're just passionate about getting and disseminating this information. Um, and we'll talk, a, I'll get to what the actual topics are here in a yeah. second. Um, but we have that. And then of course, Adam, um, Magoo, who's been doing our website and doing all the techie stuff for us. And we have the camp that people, from Camp Powerment, um, Chelsea Fuller and her mom, Tammy Leader Fuller, are the owners of Camp Powerment, and they're just phenomenal. They, I shared like the tiniest little bit of information with Chelsea about what I was envisioning, and she just ran with it. Um, it's really funny because her grandma was one of the early people in the field of behavior analysis in Florida. And she worked in South Florida. And I just think that's really funny. Like, what are the chances? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, really. <laughs> out to someone who owns a camp and like their grandma was a behavior analyst. So. And the Poconos of Pennsylvania. Pennsylvania yeah, so too. the way that Camp Powerment is set up, and I'll include the link to their website too for people that want to know more. When, um, when I decided I wanted to do this, um, basically what happened last June, we did that assessment training in Suffolk and you could just see like the looks on everyone's faces, their wheels were turning. They really loved what we were talking about. And it was all new information to them, even though a lot of them had been in the field for a while, it was all like, what you could, some of them, you could kind of see them being like, why didn't I learn this in grad school? Like, <laughs> so helpful. Um, but cause we were really diving in on like being flexible and like learning how to truly assess and not rely on certain assessments. Um, how to develop intervention without looking at resources and just using your brain. Um, And a lot of people, you could just see, they were like, this is amazing, but how am I ever going to do this? So I I felt kind of frustrated for them that we had all of these nuggets of wonderful information to provide, but then they're probably going to leave there and never use any of it. So um, although I have had a few people contact me and say they have used it. So that's good to know, but that's awesome. so we wanted to a have an event where we would have more time to talk about it because last June we only had a day. So now we have two days for the online conference, six months of coaching and follow up at camp for the 40 people that register for the camp. So we definitely have more time. Um, but we, I wanted to have, you know, the opportunity to really like apply it and like have that accountability. So I was talking to Ryan afterwards who helped um, do the event last June. And I was like, we really just need like, we need to flip this. People came in person to learn stuff when they don't have to be here. And then what? We never see them again. So we need to flip this. We need to teach them online and then meet in person once they know the information and talk about how they're applying it. So I, one night I like couldn't sleep and I just spent some time. I was like, surely there have to be camps out there that corporate companies use for retreats and things like that. So I just Googled adult camp. (laughs) I said like uh, for businesses or something like that. I'm sure there's other types of adult camps out there too. Um, And a few uh, popped up and I just sent information forms to them. Chelsea was one of the first to reply and she got it, like immediately understood what I wanted. But Camp Powerment is focused on helping people, mostly women. They're focused on women businesses um, to create an atmosphere where you can take further learning within your whatever your profession is, but also have time for, um, you know, actually just having some fun and self-care, but not just that, really growing as a human. Um, mm-hmm. And I, I hope I don't tear up today, but last week when I was like finalizing stuff for the website, 
I was like practically in tears. I think I actually did have a few tears because especially reading Tammy, um, leader Fuller's description of the workshops that she's going to lead for us at the camp. There's one on journaling and it talks about, um, really like finding out who you are and like leading your life the way you want to. And it just made me reflect for a minute how much time I spent. And I, I made jumps pretty early in my career. So that's fortunate for me, but if from the time, you know, well, I don't know how long, but, um, at least from 2007 when I became board certified until probably 2016 when I had Taylor. So almost 10 years, my whole entire life was around being a behavior analyst and it revolved around that, right? Like that's my identity. These are my clients. I get my joy out of making progress with my clients. I never stopped to think about like, who am I? (laughs) What am I here for? What am I accomplishing? Like that kind of stuff. It was just like, the day-to-day, you know, up at 7 a.m., going to work, going to bed at 11 o'clock at night, repeats, you know, over and yeah. over and over. And I think about how many other people in our field are, you know, in that grind. Um, and so just having the opportunity to have someone like Tammy who has expertise, like she's a TV producer and manager and just has this amazing background and to have the opportunity just for that, for that alone, yeah. <laughs> with nothing else happening at the camp. Um, it like brought me to tears just to think about like, wow, this is going to be a really powerful experience to have the opportunity to sit down and like separate myself from my work and yeah. think about like who I am and like what I'm really here for and what I want to do. Yeah. I can tell you like the power of journaling is really powerful. Like I just started, um, about two years ago looking at, you know, getting my life organized because like <laughs> I had so many different, uh, schedules to, you know, uh, to keep track of because like I'm juggling like a lot of different hats, uh, between school teaching. Um, at that time I was an RBT and I had a lot of juggling to do. Um, and I needed a planner and something I can journal with to just keep in, just keep track of my habits and also how I'm feeling day to day. And, I finally, I found a planner called the passion planner that I absolutely love because it has a lot of, um, it allows me to track my, my day to day, allows me to track throughout the month. It allows me to track my habits. And then each at the end of, I mean, each week I get to journal something or tell, you know, what, what things happen during the week that are really good. That was powerful for me. Um, and then at the end of the month, you have like a reflection of how your month went. Yep. And I can tell you, there's so, so many times I sat down and I sat and was like, wow, this needs to change or I need to, or I need to do better in this or wow. I'm so proud of myself that I changed this type of behavior and it has a lot of act components in it too. So it was, it's really powerful. And when I saw that, I was super ecstatic that that's part of your curriculum at camp, just because just from my own personal experience, how powerful journaling and um, just how much journaling helps me. Yeah. Um, And then I saw that you also have like yoga Mm-hmm. which I absolutely love. I thought, I think that's such a great way to 
um, for self-care. Yep. Um, to, you know, keep track of your mobility and your flexibility. It's good for your health, your mental health. So, I mean, I, just those two th- two experiences on top of what also you're uh, teaching at camp or, you know, talking about at camp, it, it just – but it just sounds phenomenal. Yeah. And the, um, the, the nice thing about Camp Powerman is the way that they, so the way they set up things is she asked me about, you know, where might people be coming from? And so selfishly, because I'm in Florida, I was like, well, I'm on the East Coast and a lot of the people that are planning it will be on the East Coast too. So this year, um, they chose the Poconos for us. That was what was available for like this area, but they have several camps throughout the United States that they work with. So Um, my goal is that we can do it every year. We'll see how things go, but so we might be able to change the location to, you know, the West coast one time or more central. So there are different options, but this year it is in the the Poconos and I think it'll be beautiful. I don't get to travel up to the, um, that part of the country in the fall very often. So I'm hoping that we'll get to see, you know, some good, um, greenery turning, maybe a little bit color changes happening. Um, that time of year should be about to start happening. So, so what time, I mean, when is camp? The camp is September 25th to the 28th. Um, I think during that time you should see some fall colors. Yeah. I mean, peak it. Yeah. Peak is definitely going to be October, but that's a beautiful time of the year to go to visit, um, Pennsylvania. Yeah. So super excited. Um, and then the other thing with the camp is they have a a listing of experts that do workshops. So Tammy is one of our experts. And then we have the the yoga instructor who's doing yoga one morning, and then we'll have a hip hop dance class the other morning. (laughs) Um, and then, um, we have for our other expert, I love this, but we're doing, um, well, I should say the name of the um, instructor for the the yoga. So her name is Maria. So she'll be doing yoga and, like I said, the hip hop dance class. And then we have um, Barbara Palmer, who is uh, the workshop is called "Conquering Your O S H I T Moments," aka surviving imposter syndrome. So I think again, that's really helpful um, in this field. The whole mm-hmm. reason we have the Do Better movement, you constantly can be learning and doing better. So it's hard sometimes to find that balance of like, yes, I really know this stuff. I'm not an imposter. (laughs) Oh, I need to still keep learning about this. So, um, and everything's interactive. So what she'll be doing, what Tammy will be doing, both things are going to be really interactive, hands-on. It's not like sit, you know, death by PowerPoint or anything like that. And then we'll have our own behavior analyst expert led events as well. Again, depending on who's participating and, and really curating it towards the 40 people that are coming to make sure um, we've been talking to Ryan about potentially he might do some stuff on um, some of the like outlying things in behavior analysis that you don't hear about a whole lot, like Cantor, um, like looking more broadly at some of the things that we don't hear about a whole lot in graduate training. Um, But he also might do something relating to like social media or just, um, creating a story, you know, that kind of, you know, his interest. <laughs> so yeah. he might um, be there to do that. And then the, um, the other women that I mentioned before, we will be having uh, time. The goal is to have time to meet with um, one or two of us to go over and like problem solve what you've been applying over the past six months. But we also, we hope to have some like breakout topics too, depending on what people 
showing interest in that have signed up for activities. And then there's, you know, your typical camp stuff. There's karaoke one night, um, there's <laughs> ice cream social, there's um, boating if the weather's uh, nice enough, there's a camp Olympics, you know, so there's all sorts of fun stuff that we'll do that's truly camp in nature. Obviously, there's um, campfire with, you know, roasting marshmallows and things like that. Nice, nice. That sounds like a wonderful time. Like, yeah. super empowering. Um, you'll probably create, a, I mean, it sounds like camp, you're going to gain a lot of friendship. Um, a lot of, you're going to um, just be engaged with a lot of people and really have a deep bond and connection with people while you're there too. Yes. On top of learning so much. Yes. So it sounds like a awesome time. Yeah, I'm really excited. And we do have all of the things I kind of blew through in the podcast just now. I'll have the link to the camp or the whole event website registration and all that on our notes. So you can read in more detail. We have the camp schedule, we have the conference schedule, um, all of that kind of stuff. But I probably should finally say <laughs> what topics. We're yeah, covering. let's let's, I know let's I keep like topics. teasing that. So, um, so the the focus of the event, and I'll, I'm just going to read the description off the website so that people kind of have an idea. So it's the initiative known as the Do Better Movement revolves around teaching topics of clinical relevance, providing continuing education courses, and community involvement opportunities. Our goal is to help you break free from the chains of rigid cookie cutter commercial assessments and programs and grow your skill set as an analyst who fluently makes moment to moment decisions based on the current context and learner responding. Inspired from the Do Better movement, strong resonance in the behavior analysis community, we have passionately created an experience like you've never known, where industry innovation meets expert led education on developing as holistic humans where unadulterated fun and games connects and bonds us with our peers and the best versions of ourselves and where leaders go to get some more perspective to fuel our campfires all year long. We invite you to do better couch to camp 2020. So um, for me in the bold italics, that's like the theme of our yeah. event. If you look at the website, so the goal being to break you free from your reliance on whatever commercial assessments and programs you've been trained on and really grow your abilities as an analyst and being able to look at your learner, be responsive to your learner in the moment, make decisions, not just on, oh, here's the steps and these procedures that uh, you know we've said we'd follow, but really taking into account all of the context, like, oh, the learner didn't sleep very well, their dad just left to go out of town, their favorite toy just broke, <laughs> their brother just punched him in the face, you know, like all of the different yeah. things that are happening, what's my best plan of action right now? And really having a constant, you know, problem solving uh, thought process happening when you're, when you're working and then also being able to train people on that. So we, um, again, we're waiting until um, after early registration closes to like truly announce like, okay, these are the presentations and this is what we're going to be talking about. But I do have our like list of content areas that we're planning to cover. We just need to finalize where all that's going to be. So I'll tell you uh, what those are here in just a second. I just have to pull it up. So, um, and I'm also finalizing kind of the the, how we're going to organize that <laughs> for, um, for everyone. But these are the areas that we're passionate about and wanting to include in the, the conference, the coaching, and the camp. So some of these things may only be in one of those three spots. Some of these things may be in all three. 
but we're going to be covering instructional design. This is something that Amy Evans especially is really passionate about. We did a do better. I did a do better webinar on this back in 2018 to like barely Mm -hmm. cover the basics, but it's something we don't get trained on very much as behavior analysts. So it's like when we're running, for example, a matching program, sure, you can just randomly pick cards to match and teach a child to match the cards. But if you really look at instructional design, there's a whole process you can go through to make Mm -hmm. your program most effective and get the most bang for your buck. So we're going to be talking about a lot of those types of things. Um, Kent Johnson at Morningside and uh, Joe Lang, um, they've created Head Sprout, which is a reading program that's based on instructional design that's really effective. So it's used a lot in like really um, just the direct instruction programs like Language for Learning. All of those mm-hmm. types of things have a really strong instructional design focus, and but we are not usually trained on that. So yeah. that's going to be a big focus. Um, assessment obviously is going to be a big focus too, but not like, Oh, here's the VV map. Here's peak. Here's the ables, but more of like, what types of things should you be assessing and how should you be assessing them? So learning to learn skills, barriers to learning, challenging behavior. Um, and then also like the different levels of assessment. So macro, micro and meta, you know, it's not just as simple as, you know, Um, checking off boxes in a book, there's a lot more that goes into thinking about your assessment process and figuring Mm -hmm. out what you're teaching is really um, applying to real life. Yeah. And then component composite analysis. Um, So being able to like break skills down and and look at how they build on each other and what level of fluency you need to have before you can see bigger skills happen. Um, Learning channels. So the idea that information is presented to us in different ways And we also output that information in different ways. So we might see something and then say an answer or somebody might say something to us and then we say an answer. So there's different ways that things are presented and different responses that are expected of us. And depending on what learning channels are being used, you might have um, different responses. So you might have some learners where you know, like when they're presented with something visual and they just need to touch something they do an amazing job. But if you present them with something visual and they need to say something, it's like they don't have the skill at all. So being able to really think about learning channels and how you can use that to develop your intervention. Um, Learning pictures, which is looking at different charts, um, whether it's charts or graphs, but looking at your data and figuring out based on the trends, the incorrects and the corrects, um, the things you want to see up and the things you want to see going down, what that picture is made of should tell you what you need to do to modify your intervention. And again, a lot of the times we're not really trained on that. We're trained to like three data points is stable. You don't want to have variable data. Um, You want to see a downward trend if you're trying to decrease the behavior and an upward trend if you're trying to increase. And that's about all we're trained on. (laughs) So this is more about like, how do you make decisions in the moment based off of the data that you're seeing Um, We also want to try to include the idea of macro, micro, and meta assessment in your own life and planning, um, you know, your goals for yourself and your family and your career. So um, we're hoping to bring in some content on that. Um, Flexibility and being responsive to the learner. So again, that in the moment decision making. So if my learner is doing this, then I do this as opposed to just step by step, you know, things that you're going to follow. Um, creating a scope and sequence for treatment planning. So taking the information you receive from an assessment and using that to develop your program, but also your micro 
macro and meta level assessments and how you're going to really see if they've, um, if they're applying the skill in the natural environment. And then the last two, um, comprehensively addressing challenging behavior. So this is obviously a passion area of mine, um, but it also is something that Emily really is passionate about too. And we want to make sure that people are humanely <laughs> um, and respectfully addressing challenging behavior. And then the last one is um, developing fluency and using frequency building as an intervention. And actually, there's one more I forgot. It's not on my sheet. Shaping. Um, that would be related to intervention as well. So how do you use shaping, whether it's to decrease challenging behavior or increase um, skills that you're trying to teach? So we do have this list of these are the <laughs> topics we're going, like these are the areas that we want to cover, but we just need to kind of flesh that out and like where will it be in the conference, the coaching, the break, um, the camp. So um, if anyone's listening and wants to chime in on like what they would want to learn most about, feel free to to shoot us uh, an email or comments on a post about it. And we'll take that into account as well. Megan, we want to learn all of it. <laughs> <laughs> I know that's a problem. Cause like when we set pen to paper, we're like, well, all of these things are important, but keep in mind, the big focus is that, you know, you are an analyst and if nobody ever, if, if none of the materials that existed in our field existed, um, what do you do, right? Like how yeah. do you deal with that? And uh, unfortunately there's just not enough training being done. Um, on any of these topics right now. So we're trying to take the people that do know a lot about this and get that information out there. And the really cool thing for me, because Amy and Kathy and Corinne especially are all such experts in precision teaching, I learn too, and I can do better um, with the <laughs> content that they're um, providing too. So it's a great learning experience for me as well. That's awesome. That's awesome. Um, so does everyone... Did, does everyone have to participate in all three segments or can they just choose in which one they want? So great question. So what we did is we created three levels for purchasing. So um, because everybody obviously has a different budget or they might have different needs for what they're, um, you know, able wanting to learn about and that kind of thing. So we have the mighty Oak, which is um, described as to nurture strength and wisdom for yourself and the field of behavior analysis, that's the full thing. That's the couch, two, and camp. So you do all three. Um, and that one is $850. But keep in mind that includes the camp. So it's um, four days, three nights, you're lodging your meals at camp too. So you get the online experience, but it's also covering the cost of your camp. Um, the ta and it, you, with that one, you can earn up to 30 CEUs. Um, the taproot is to anchor your learning experience and set the stage for future growth. So with that one, you have the three-day conference where you can attend live or recorded and six monthly coaching meetings. Um, you can earn up to 20 CEUs and that one's $300. And then um, the seed is to plant the opportunity to recognize your full personal and professional potential. That's just the online conference. So three-day online conference earn up to 14 CEUs and it's $150. The really nice thing that we were able to set up with our web developer for the camp, you don't have to put the 850 all down at one time. You can if you want to, but you can also do four payments of $212.50. And for the um, taproot, instead of paying the $300 all at once, you can do three payments of $100. So we're trying to make it you know, as budget friendly yeah. as possible for people. Um, and I had one more thing I was going to say about the different 
event levels and now I don't remember. Do you have any questions about that? No, like, no. I mean, I still think that the whole thing is still like, I mean, like you're getting all this information and all these experiences for um, those three different levels, like especially camp. Camp, it, like I would, like I was picturing that, you know, that camp experience was going to be like, you know, something like along like $2,000. Yeah. But I, I've, I've had a few people ask me that were um, behind the scenes, like, are you sure? But, but for this, especially this first time around, I want it to be successful. Um, and uh, I wanted to make sure because we didn't, you know, it's, it's a new type of event and that kind of thing. So this, this year, especially the camp piece is priced like right at basically what it costs <laughs> to, um, to buy the camp for the weekend. Um, so obviously in the future, it wouldn't be possible to continue to produce high quality content and like not, and just maybe even lose money. So it will, you know, in future years, if this is successful and we're able to do it, we probably will need to charge more than that. But that's the whole like, you know, big focus of the do better movement is getting high quality professional development to the masses, um, at like not an arm and a leg. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but if we want to bring Which, in like more experts and things like that, like people's time, especially the higher level of expertise they have is valuable. So to, you know, afford that in the future, we obviously would probably need to make it cost a little bit more. <laughs> yeah. No, that, no, it sounds like a wonderful, um, experience to be a part of. Oh, I remember what the other thing was that I was going to say. So I know I mentioned this already, but keep in mind with these benefits that are listed on the website that we'll have in the show notes, what I was talking about earlier, where when you make the purchase, you also get points in your account. So you're getting like for the Mighty Oak, you're getting up to 30 learning BACB CEUs, but you also will have um, 85 points if you sign up after... Um, the 15th of February and you'll have a hundred and, um, what is it? 70 points. If you sign up before on February 15th or before. So those points can then be used on our other courses. So you're really getting more than <laughs> 30 yeah. uh, CEUs because you can use those points to buy additional courses for free. Um, and do it whenever you want, because a lot of people, um, okay, cool. Get those 30 CEUs and then you're set for the year, basically, I'm assuming. So you could save those points in your account. And after you recertify, take some more courses on topics that are of interest to you and you'll have additional free CEs. Um, to wow. Make wow. No, that's awesome. That's, that sounds like a, a like an awesome, awesome deal. <laughs> <Good>. <laughs> that's, that's the plan. So I, again, just trying to disseminate the information and really get people learning about this content. All right. So um, where can people go to sign up? So they can go to, I'll link it in the show notes, but if you just go to our website, dobettermovement.us, um, on the main page, there's a link up at the top that says couch to camp, or you can scroll down a little bit and it's on there as well. Um, one thing that some people have been confused about, there's a lot of details so the first part that you'll see is just all of the details about the event and like what we're doing. And then there's a thing that says select event level. And if you click on that, or just if you're on your phone, keep scrolling, you'll see the different registration levels, the mighty Oak, the taproot and the seed. So, um, you can register. There's also on the main page, like it says, you know, register here and you can click on that. So <laughs> registration is on like the next page as opposed to being on the same page as all the 
event details. All right. Awesome. So I definitely am going to go back and check out and I'm, I'm definitely going to have to check out um, the, the conference just because it sounds phenomenal. And is that on a weekend, do you know, or? Yeah. So it's on a Friday and Saturday. So April 3rd and 4th. And then the 5th is a Sunday again for people if they want to like hop in and just network with each other, check out the exhibitors a little bit more. We are, um, if anyone's listening that, you know, wants to get your brand out there, um, people that participate and do better have constantly impressed me with their commitment to ethics and providing high quality intervention. So to me, this event is one of the most unique. And if you have like a business, especially where you're trying to hire people (laughs) um, or you just want people to know about what you're doing, like I think this is a really neat opportunity to be an exhibitor or a sponsor um, and get into, you know, network and contact with people who are really high performers in our field. Um, And the really neat thing with the sponsorship that we did is instead of having levels like silver, gold, bronze, where you get certain benefits for paying like outrageous amounts of money, we have a sponsorship page on our website where you can build your own package. So like, for example, we have a social media post where we'll post the logo of the company and like a description about whatever cool stuff they're doing. And that's only, I think like $25. Um, so you could do just that, or you could do that and you could be an exhibitor, you know? So there's different, like you just pick whatever things you want to put in your cart to represent your brand. And, um, and then you can pay the, as little or as much as you want to like get your information out there to the people that are attending the event. So and that's cool too, because for them, they don't have to also do the traveling, right. the plane, the airfare, the hotel, the um, bringing the stuff to the conference, um, yep. and the wake, the early waking up. I mean, yeah. like waking up early to, you know, <laughs> set any everything up. So there's a lot yes. of benefits to that too. Yeah, and they, it's like um, the exhibitor options for the software we're using for the online conference are just so cool because you can be as interactive as you want. You can be there live and someone hops in and you're on a video and you're just chatting with them or you can pre-record stuff and not even be present during the event and your stuff's just there for people to watch. And, you know, when you think about real conferences, not real, but in-person conferences where someone has to man a booth for, you know, eight hours every day and it gets kind of boring, especially if people's not, if people aren't stopping by. <laughs> so <laughs> from like a, a you know, human power standpoint of like not having to have someone sit there um, to talk to people if you don't want to. Awesome. That, that's, a, that, that's just awesome. <laughs> I mean, I, 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 I it, there's nothing like it. I mean, I know nothing. I'm so, so excited. I'm sure like there will be, there's a lot of really cool events happening this year. So, um, I'm sad I'm missing out on some of them myself, but, um, really excited to plan this one and see everyone that attends. So awesome. Sounds like an excellent time. Yeah. So that I talked, I could probably talk about this for like five more hours, but we did have two other things we were going to talk about for this podcast. So do you want to switch over to the next one? Yeah. So I just like, I pop in and out of Facebook lately just because, um, like I'm trying to take a, I mean, spend less time on social media as a social media detox. And plus my life is like really busy right now. But one of the things I noticed on on the Do Better Movement page is someone posted an infographic 
about behavior analysts and SLPs and what's the difference on um, on what the training for SLP is for feeding and just different um, different um, deficits that a, a kid uh, learner might have and why and a behavior analyst shouldn't um, be treating those type of deficits. Um, and I just thought it was really interesting and um, something that I don't, I don't know how to take it. Like, I mean, I, I mean, I know for me personally, I wouldn't feel comfortable um, treating any of my learners with um, those type of deficits just because I don't have any kind of training. Mm-hmm. Um, I was never trained in um, my coursework on how to work with uh, my learners who have like um, uh just, I'm going to butcher the name because I'm horrible at pronouncing, but just, just, just figure, I can't say it. Figuratively? What? What do you say? <laughs> this figure, uh, there's a couple, like, oh, there's. Oh, dysphagia? Yeah, dysphagia? there we go. Yeah. Okay. I, was and, like, I don't know what word you're going for. I can't. Yeah, I know, I know. I'm trying to reach it out. It's on my tip of my tongue, but I just can't say it just because that's just me and I can't pronounce everything perfectly. So, um, but no, like, um, so, and for me, just being a near BSBA in this field, I wouldn't feel comfortable um, treating something like that. I mean, someone, a uh, learner with that. But I would go out and make sure that I find someone who has the credentials or the experience that can mentor me um, and uh, watch my programming to do something like that. Or I would just re- uh, refer my client to um, someone that can help them with those deficits. What's your take on that? Yeah. So, I mean, obviously that's, you know, that's the best answer. So there's, I always tell people as behavior analysts, we're the how we, we should be collaborating with, you know, whatever, whatever skill area needs to be taught the what. Um, So whether it's, you know, dysphagia or apraxia or stuttering or feeding or whatever, whatever the thing is that, that the learner is coming to us with, um, if they're in school and it's an academic problem, the nature, um, for any challenging behavior aside, like any skill acquisition, we're mostly the how. So, um, other people should be, we should be working with them on the what. Um, so what I mean by that is if you have learners who are diagnosed with whatever things that are relating more to like a speech diagnosis, Um, you should be collaboratively working with the speech therapist to help with like the learning side of things. Like how do we learn? (laughs) Because yes, speech language pathologists, teachers, OTs, PTs are trained on so many wonderful things, but they're trained a lot on the content and like how to assess whatever, you know, maybe from a medical standpoint or a physiological standpoint, but they're not trained on the, how do we learn piece of it? How do we motivate people, and I'm not saying all of them, but a lot of the times, especially even if you just look at the infographic um, that was posted that is not true necessarily for behavior analysis, so it might not be accurate for speech either. Um, 
but we, you know, from a, from your education background, there's not a whole lot of focus on the science of learning and how skills are acquired. So from a collaborative standpoint, like we should be working with others to like, they would tell us, okay, as you know, that in my training as a speech pathologist to address this issue, this is what we would do. And then we can chime in with cool. This is how we could motivate them to do that better. We could, you know, or that's, that's great. Um, maybe it, is any of this too difficult right now? And they might say yes. And like, we might try to brainstorm with them about how to break it down small into smaller steps and use shaping. So we come in with the knowledge of like how to help them acquire the skills, but work collaboratively with, um, with the SLP or whatever other profession it is. Um, but there is a lot of overlap too, when you're looking from the intervention side of things. So a lot of us, even though our background is in behavior analysis and we're trained as behavior analysts, we're providing in-home or center-based intervention, um, typically with autism. And there's a broad, um, a broad set of skills that, I would say even your general speech pathologist or OT or PT aren't trained on either because autism is its own thing. (laughs) (laughs) So you, you'll encounter people who, um, who've, whether they've been in the field long enough or they've just done their own expertise in it, but there's aspects of autism that I, as a behavior analyst working in this for so long, even if I talk to a really well-trained speech pathologist or OT or PT or teacher, they're not going to know the same about it as I do, but there might be something I'm encountering like, oh, they're not making this sound or they're not doing this thing. And I would reach out to the speech pathologist for like that specific issue. So it's a really complex and complicated um, conversation to have. And I think the biggest thing to think about, whether regardless of what field you're in, is yeah. what is your training and your competency So what, like even in grad school, whether you're a speech pathologist or a behavior analyst or a teacher, whatever it is, like, what did you learn about? Um, Because everyone has different experiences too. Like I know some people that were in behavior analytic programs that were really comprehensive and they had certain, you know, classes and some weren't and they didn't have certain classes. Um, (laughs) Like, so it's really more about reflecting on your competencies and what you've been trained on. And like you said, reaching out to people when you don't have competency in something um, and being willing to like be open and collaborate. Unfortunately, there has, there are still behavior analysts. Um, and I, I definitely did it when I first started in the field who kind of act like we're the end all be all. Um, and we know everything and that's not true. <laughs> so, yeah. um, but it, it's hard when other fields are saying like, why are you working on those motor movements or why are you working on sounds and why are you working on language? Um, but it's all skills that need to be learned. Um, and in some situations we have more competency in those things than other people might and vice versa. So instead of people like arguing and fighting about it, it should be recognizing that we're all in it to help the learner make progress and to pull ideas together and create the best plan based on everyone's expertise. Yes. And when you're working with, um, a learner who has a, uh, like any type of disability, it takes a village to work with that person. Like there, there, there is more, I mean, you just, I mean, it's more, it's necessary to work together and come together as um, like a package just to help this learner um, 
be the best version of themselves and help them uh, succeed in life. And it, and we need to work together as uh, stakeholders just to help out um, our learners. So yes. I think I, that's where uh, I, my feeling is, is like we, I mean, it's better to work together than it is to work separately because all we're doing is hurting the learner that we're trying to help. Yeah. And like I mentioned a bunch of professions when I was talking, but, you know, speaking of that team standpoint, um, sometimes the people that know the most about the child have zero, (laughs) like one of my first teams that I worked on um, in Ohio when I wasn't, you know, even in grad school or anything, I was just undergrad degree working in homes. Um, the woman that was on the team, I think her background was like, she was an art teacher or something, but she was a family friend and they needed people to work with their child and she was willing to do it. So Mm -hmm. she was a little bit older, like I think maybe even, you know, fifties or so, um, it was pretty unique, especially then, like most of us were in our early twenties or younger. Um, and some of like, we would have our team meetings and some of the ideas she would come up with for how to like connect with this child and like, you know, work off of his strengths and interests were just phenomenal. And nobody else could have come up with them. It was just like her creative, her creativity um, was amazing. And then of course the parents, right? Like a lot of parents have different backgrounds. I've worked with one of the best parents I've worked with has a degree in microbiology. (laughs) (laughs) So what does she know about speech? Right. Or what does she know about whatever, but she knows her child and she was the most passionate to learn about autism. Like, I'll send her stuff sometimes, like, oh, you might want to check this out. And she's like, I already read that. You know, so, like, <laughs> in terms of being driven um, and, like, learning about the diagnosis that their child has and, like, what things are working and what aren't. And having the time, potentially, to do it. Because a lot of the times, professionals have 10, 15 or more clients on their caseload. And they can mm-hmm. allocate a certain amount of time for planning programs for each of those clients parents have a lot of stuff to do, but you know, that nothing's stopping them from being up, you know, on Google or wherever until like 4am looking up stuff on their child. Now, obviously there's some discernment there in terms of figuring out, was it credible or is it actually effective? But, um, especially for parents who have that critical eye and don't fall for like, you know, snake oil type stuff, they're going to be the most helpful in saying like, Oh, did you see this new research that came out? I think this would work well for my child. That's awesome. Yeah, I totally agree. Um, and that's all that we can, we need to say on that. But <laughs> I will say just because it was, if anyone like seen the post or whatever, I didn't really comment on it. Um, just from a like, do learn from my mistake, maybe um, try not to let post, um, you know, don't read the comments. It's just like political stuff to me. Like I just don't anymore. Um, I, when I first started in the field, um, I would comment on some things that were on YouTube at the time and try to like help explain to people like that ABA is different, um, than what they were talking about. But there's two issues. One, uh, most of the time for the people that are participating in groups, bashing behavior analysis, their mind is already made up. And we know from sociological research, you trying to get in there and change it, it's just going to further entrench their hatred towards us, no matter how (laughs) nicely you do it. Um, And the second thing is, you know, whether the things are true or not, if if we see them as myths or misconceptions, they're there for somehow they got there. Um, So learn from it, take in what they're saying, let it wash over you from a, oh, that really makes me mad standpoint and, and really open yourself up to like, 
okay, people are saying this about us. How is that coming to be? What as a person, one person, how can I make sure I'm not that? Um, and set the example, you know, figure out, reflect upon making sure you're not the person that they're talking about and you're not doing the things the way that they're talking about them. And the more people we have out there doing a good job and setting that example, um, the better things will be. Trying is a waste of time. None of us have enough yes. time in a day to spend hours trying to debate with people about our jobs. So allocate that time towards making sure you're doing the best you can to not let those myths exist. <laughs> one of the best things my dad um, ever told me, like one of the lessons I learned from him is that actions speak louder than words. Uh, I know a lot of people Especially say that, but it's so, yeah, <laughs> yeah, instead of type words, but it's so true. Yeah. Um, actually, my dad doesn't even type. He hates <laughs> he calls he calls Facebook Spacebook. Yeah. <laughs> so he doesn't have Instagram account. He doesn't know what Snapchat is. He doesn't know what TikTok is. So um, very old school. He likes to talk over the phone. But um, that's one of the most valuable lessons I learned from him. So yeah. I, I I agree. You know, as a field, let's let's work on uh, making our actions speak louder than just what we type. So. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, but I want to get into this too, because I know I talked to you, talked to you um, earlier about this, but you couldn't say anything because it would probably take up like five hours just to talk about. <laughs> um, but um, I actually saw a meme also of someone um, about the BACB. Um, how <laughs> they drop <laughs> they drop announcements like Beyonce drops albums. Yeah, I, I that thought that too. was hilarious. <laughs> but uh, but yeah, the BACB has been quite active the past two months. Um, they um, they just I mean, can you explain a little bit more about what is BACB just um, t I mean, like basically they just told us that they're no longer. Um, accepting uh, outside the U.S. applicants. Outside and, the U.S. and Canada. Yes. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And that was huge. And I, and I know a lot of people went to the internet to express their frustrations um, about that. However, there is something going on that you're working with right now called uh, IBAB. Yes. All right, so what can you, what is a IBAB? Okay, so it's the International um, Behavior Analyst Board. And um, the I'm on the professional advisory board, so I'm not employed by them or, or making, you know, anything, any money or anything like that. I don't think they're probably making any money right now either. <laughs> um, but I'm, so the professional advisory board is um, a bunch of volunteers from throughout the world who are, um, volunteering their time to help with finalizing policies and procedures for the International Behavior Analyst Board. The way that the board was created, Dr. Mike Mueller uh, was on a trip in Moldova, um, which is like close to Russia. Um, okay. And he, he was invited there to do some training on the assessment of functional living skills, the AFOLs he's a co-author on. And the group that he was working with was so passionate and so dedicated. They, they didn't speak, most of them didn't speak English. It was very similar to the trips I've gone on to like Brazil and um, Egypt and things like that, where they're just really passionate about 
helping people learn and not having the resources to do so. Well, they had received a grant to get their a few people in their group trained as BCBAs before um, the announcement was made, obviously. And then okay. with the announcement being made, the um, it's basically impossible. Like the people aren't going to be able to finish their coursework and supervision in time to even get certified before the deadline from the BACB. So they were very, you know, they're just like barrier after barrier, like knocking things down and like finally had some hope that they were in the right direction. And then that announcement came and, and, and Mike was there when, um, you know, just after that happened. So, um, it really like inspired him to, he came back and, and decided that, you know, it's not right that there's people all around the world that want so badly to access this information and aren't able to, um, so it's nice. The BACB has said that they'll work with different countries to help them set up something, but that's, you know, people are freaking out right now. <laughs> um, and the BACB hasn't really said like what that means or like what the process is going to be like for that. A lot of people, there's a sense of urgency of like, we need to make this happen yesterday. So, um, so the IBAB is pushing forward and it's very interesting. It's a grassroots effort, really. You know, there's, there's a lot of ways to create something. Um, it can all be done in the background with, you know, certain like experts, like a room full of like five to 10 people coming up with everything um, and setting out the policies and procedures based on just their own knowledge, maybe having a few subject matter experts come in and give information as well. And then, you know, just put it out there with everything already designed. And, you know, you either consume it or you don't, but this is being done like the complete opposite way. So the framework is there, the broad idea is there, but everything is, we're as a professional advisory board and then, you know, additional volunteers or even like seeking out through social media feedback from people creating this. Um, when I say we, like the IBAB, but like me on the professional advisory board giving feedback on like as a practitioner, boots yeah. on the ground, who's been to many different countries. These are the issues people are facing and these are the solutions people need. So it's not like an ivory tower, a bunch of people from like universities creating stuff that may not be helpful. Um, yeah. And that's how I feel a lot of the times with, you know, with the funding sources that we work with, like with TRICARE, when they come out with new regulations, I'm like, <laughs> where were your practitioners in this? Because these are not feasible things. Or yeah. like even in Virginia, when we did licensing, like we were part of some of the discussion, but the ultimate decisions were not made by us. It was made by like the board of medicine. Unfortunately, it went fine, but it could have gone very badly, you know? Um, so it's really, for me, I was so excited to participate because it's a really unique opportunity to like have my voice heard as someone who's been working in the field for almost 20 years, has a PhD, but has chosen to spend my time with the families who need these services. And mm -hmm. again, I'm not knocking anything. Like people have their different preferences and whatnot, but I'm so sick of the idea that just because someone works at a university and publishes research, they're better than everyone else <laughs> and they get to make all the decisions. Like, that's just not cool. I'm yeah. sorry. Um, and I know like there's people are brought in to like give input in different arenas, but there's not the level of voice that's happening right now with the IBAB where there's, we, we have over 20 countries represented. We have a mixture of people that are faculty at university. So we do have that voice of like, mm -hmm. these are the things that would be needed from like a coursework standpoint, because there's a lot of universities 
that set up VCS like course sequences, put a lot of time and energy towards that. And now like, what do they have to motivate people to go through that course? (laughs) Um, so making sure that like the certificate would meet what they've been doing, um, having, but having people from areas where they don't have anything yet and making sure it would be feasible for them to get certified as well. Um, the idea is really to make it more practitioner focused too. So and accessible because I'm sorry. Um, I don't know what the final like task list and stuff will be, but how often, honestly, Joe, how often when you're doing your day-to-day job, whether it's in school or in a parent's home, do you need to know as in depth as you had to learn about it for the exam about research designs? <laughs> really? Like it's helpful if you need to study, right? Yeah. But you could, I mean, yeah. uh, ideally the studies are written in a way that people could figure it out, right? Like you don't probably have to know it at a level that you need to be tested on it. Now it might yeah. be in the task list for the IVAB. I'm just, that's like one of my, yeah. like as a practitioner, and there's things when I supervise people where I'm like, you know, we don't use that. Yeah, <laughs> That's just not I, something. Well, and then there's big things missing that I'm like, but you do need to know about this. You yeah. know, you will encounter these issues. Um, so trying to really help kind of, you know, like make things that are um, for the international, like having some cultural competency, the stuff we talked about. Yeah. I was so excited for our first meeting with, um, with the IVAB and the, the professional advisory board. And some of the emails that went out, like a lot of the stuff that you and I talked about on the social change podcast, a lot of that is going to be accounted for with the work that the IVAB is doing. And like from a logistics standpoint, there's going to be like a a framework with some stuff filled in, but then like the funding and the, um, you know, when people uh, get certified, the the funds to my understanding, because I don't get to decide this, but based on the discussions we've had, will go towards helping, you know, to work with the local communities to like revise or, or modify things as needed. So it's a flex, it's a much more flexible system. And again, I'm not saying it's better or anything like that. It's just, um, there's certain, certain things that people have not been able to access our science because of how some things are set up right now. And it's cool to have an opportunity to, to look at those barriers and figure out how we can better address that. That's awesome. Like I, I've, I'm fully like supportive of the IBAB and like what they're doing. So I think this is a great uh, response. So I'm excited to see where it goes. Um, what kind of impact do you think the IBAB um, wants to have or hope to have? I mean, the ideal from my, again, I'm speaking as a professional advisory board member and what, like, what influence, like, opinions I'll give when we meet. Um, I can't say what the final decisions are going to be, but um, if you look at the website, it talks about, you know, the mission and things like that. The the overarching goal is really to disseminate the science to a practitioner level. So helping, especially people in areas where you know, there's not, there's not very much happening in terms of English and working with those local communities. Um, I've, I've posted about this on Facebook. Um, obviously credit goes to Molly from the global autism project, but they're really doing with and not for, so not coming in as like the people from America and just being like, this is how things need to be done, but more, excuse me, what are the issues you're facing and how can we help you with it? Um, Mm -hmm. And it's going to be different in different places because some places already have infrastructure set up 
and they're going to need help transitioning away from the BCBA certification to a new one. And then um, some places have nothing at all and everybody speaks a different language than English. So they may initially need to start with like creating some resources that have been translated and we need to find people to volunteer to translate. So, you know, there's going to be different projects depending on the area. And that's what I like about the flexibility of it. Um, And, you know, there are other certifications that already exist out there. There's the um, the QABA, the, um, which is the, quali- the QABA is the board. Um, and the thing is like the qualified autism service professional. And then there's also the BCAT, which is the board certified autism therapist. Um, my understanding is that those both are also, um, looking at international options too. So, um, you know, we hope to help with disseminating and, um, training practitioners worldwide, but, you know, there's certain areas maybe already using some of those other boards. And that's cool. We'll allocate resources to the areas that yeah. still have nothing, right? Like it's not, they're not a takeover the world type situation. It's more, you know, connecting with the people who have the same values and mission, um, you know, are aligned with IBAB and then mm-hmm. helping them create what they need to, you know, impact their community with behavior analysis. That's awesome. Like super excited. And, um, so why would someone want to be certified uh, with? Right. So, I mean, to be honest, right now, as we're finalizing, you know, the different pathways to certification and the development, to me, again, this is just my opinion. I'm not speaking on behalf of the IBAB. Um, it's it's a, more of a show of support. Um, it's okay. a, to, to get in there and show you support, like disseminating quality behavior analysis. Um, because right now the path, the current pathway that's open is if you're already board certified, um, and it doesn't have to be like a BCBA, but like if you have done coursework and you've supervised and you've taken a test, um, those are the current requirements. So, um, if you have proof that you've done those things that are in the field of behavior analysis, there's also like, we need to account for, um, and I don't know if this has been updated on the website or not, but one of the things that I was thinking about is, and I'm not saying that um, either of these people would do this, but like one of my professors at Ohio State, Dr. Nancy Neef, is a prolific researcher in our field. She's retired now, um, but she's published uh, so much research on ADD mm. and ADHD. Um, she, you know, what has been editors for some of the major journals. She's been on boards for various things. Um, she's not a BCBA. <laughs> Yeah. She's never taken a test in behavior analysis to become certified in behavior analysis. Same with Pat Fryman. Um, and there's yeah. other people out there like that. Um, so some of, you know, the biggest researchers in behavior analysis ha- would not technically do not meet those requirements. So we also need to have pathways available. And I, um, I know that that's being like finalized and that there's, there's stuff being in the works for that too. Mm-hmm. But again, that flexibility piece, because a lot of the times, like, especially when I went to Brazil, it's huge in the universities in Brazil. So many people have been learning the science of behavior analysis down there be way beyond what we learn, especially from like a, an experimental standpoint um, that could run circles around us, but they're not really ever taken a test. So there's this like misconception here in the States that, you know, um, that if a, a country doesn't have people that are certified, they must not know about behavior analysis. And that's not necessarily true. There's some places where, again, 
they're like, so they're more, more advanced than most of us. Um, they just didn't need the certification for anything or it wasn't accessible because they all speak Portuguese, not English, you know? <laughs> so. Wow. That's fascinating. Like I didn't even know that about like, um, um, just the country of Brazil and, um, just becoming a behavior analyst in Brazil. Like I didn't know they had a lot more coursework than we do. Um, that's awesome. Yeah. Some of the early pioneers in our field, like Fred Keller, he, he was in Brazil. Um, so there's people that, you know, that we read research from as some of our like foundational coursework, um, who were in other countries, not (laughs) the United States. And so those countries have, you know, it might, they might, it might be a, you know, several universities or whatever. It's not necessarily in every university, but there are places where people that live there could go and in their native language learn about this science. This science is not, you know, an American only science. Yeah. <laughs> so, but there is like, we're here and, you know, it's, it's hard when you, we, we, it's all, it's again, human nature. We, um, we know our own experiences and we don't know what's outside of that. So, um, being able to help in those areas where, especially they already have been, they could, again, probably run circles around us <laughs> on the science, but knowing the science doesn't necessarily mean you know how to practice, right? Yes. I've met a lot of people who could tell me all sorts of things and like be very technological about behavior analysis. But if I sat them down with a child, they would have no clue what to do. So, <laughs> <laughs> Yes. Yeah. But no, I mean, that's, and that's something that like, when you said that, like, you know, just how it's not just uh, science in the United States, I, I that's where, like, I kind of, like, I have a, a I, I kind of want to explore other countries and get, and just, ex, and just get um, more experience working on the, I mean, other countries just to gain that experience. Like, I feel like for us, uh, I mean, we need to get out of a bubble a little bit too. Yep. Um, and (laughs) sorry, you said bubble and it made me think of even going back in the day, like when I moved from Florida to Virginia, that was a bubble change. Like the behavior analysis in Florida at that time compared to the behavior analysis in Virginia was like being in two different countries. It was completely different. Yeah. And that's where like, I, I think that would be so beneficial for even just, um, behavior analysts in the United States, just to get abroad and understand like, other countries and the issues that they're um, facing yep. and help disseminating, which I think um, is also one of the most awesome. I mean, one of the things that I love about, um, I'm going to help me out the world. Uh, the global autism project. Yeah. The global autism project. Uh, I just think that what they're doing is fascinating. Yes. Um, yep. The, so one of the things I want to wondering about is is one of the pathways like in the future for and you might not know this right now but the IBAB to is to have their own certification exam. Yes, so that's something um, that's being worked on right now. So um, the professional advisory board and this is the other thing that's just incredible to me is um, you know there's again the foundations are being set. But the um, professional advisory board is then giving input on like, you know, the different items that would be created for that. So um, that's, I, you know, in terms of looking at, again, if it's practitioner focused, 
um, what are we really using as practitioners and like at what level does the, because there's so much, there's so much in our science that yeah. um, like some of it's, you know, again, it's on the, um, in current training programs and some of it's not, there's also stuff again, as a practitioner, if we're looking at practitioners that necessarily isn't, that isn't necessarily in our textbooks, like we talked about on the social change podcast, like about equity and social justice, um, collaboration, you know, there's some things where if you're going to be working as a practitioner with families or schools, if you have, you know, as part of your job requirement, uh, interaction with some sort of social piece that yeah. you would need to learn those skills, preferably in your training, yeah. <laughs> not after you graduate. So like, yeah. you know, restricting things to just the science isn't necessarily producing the best practitioners. Um, and, you know, again, just speaking from my own opinion, um, it, we're try I would like to see, you know, if there is more research, there's research that shows having people trained um, in the science of behavior analysis and like having a supervisor overseeing things, you make more progress, like learners make more progress. But I haven't seen anything that necessarily states a certain level from like a university standpoint. Because realistically, if we're looking at trying to disseminate in a variety of countries, university level training isn't always going to be possible. Yeah. Um, you know, to have like it's, it's good and like it's A, the systems are set up differently, but B, it's rare to like see people getting a master's degree. So, you know, yeah. kind of where we can tweak, where could things be tweaked where we're really identifying the critical features of being a quality practitioner and a quality, and then not just like one that's working one-on-one, -on -one, but what skills are needed to develop programs and that kind of thing. Um, and it may not necessarily be that it has to be college courses um, or there could be, Again, um, this is just me talking. This is not finalized stuff, just like brainstorming. Mm -hmm. um, there could maybe potentially end up being different levels where, um, or like, you know, frameworks where it's like, when these resources are available, this is the initial phase. And like, you stay at this phase for so long, but the expectation to continue to be able to certify would be that those resources are getting built up and then we move it up to that next phase, which is essentially what a lot of things have done that happened for licensure in Virginia. It happened for, for even insurance coverage. Like yeah. when ABA was first um, accepted for insurance, there really were no <laughs> requirements whatsoever. And now it's like, Oh my gosh, how do we do this? So that's how a lot of things start, right? Because you need to help people get access at first. So you look yeah. at what resources currently exist, you create your systems around that but then you want to up the expectations over time. Yeah. And then I can only, I can imagine how difficult it might be for ethics to, to come in place just because yeah. each country is completely different. Yep. So I, again, this is something, you know, that's still being formulated. Um, my suggestion would be if, if it was my way, if I were developing a board <laughs> um, that we're focused on values based ethics um, it, there's, um, there's actually a, like a, some YouTube videos called giving voice to values. I'll try to put that in the show notes that, um, focuses on this as well. It's out of a university in Texas, I think. Um, but anyway, instead of, you know, black and white rules of like, you do this or you don't do that. It's more yeah. about, these are the values and you make decisions based on upholding those values. So I think from a, a, you know, culturally and universally, globally speaking, 
we could come up with a universal set of values and then how that's applied depends on the culture that you're working in, right? Um, now, yeah. I don't know that that's what's going to happen for the IBAB. That is what I'm going to voice as my <laughs> role on the, the board, the professional advisory board, but it's that not everyone might agree with me on that. It's obviously trickier to do that, yeah. like to have the values um, and to train people on it. But I would rather have people that are trained on as a, you know, a certified, if you are like internationally certified, we uphold these values and you make, and this is how you can make decisions based off that and like have that as part of their training. Then to just say, here are your black and white rules. You must follow these. And there's no critical thought or problem solving <laughs> involved with it. Um, yeah. If it does go more of the rules route, um, my guess is there will be like a general kind of um, broad, like these are the generic rules. And then for each region, one of the requirements would be like for your area to continue to maintain certification, you come up with like um, culturally relevant ethical guidelines too. And like almost like when you, if you look at the ABAI and how they have chapters, um, so you have to have like um, to become a chapter of ABAI or even to become a special interest group, there's certain paperwork you have to turn in, right? So again, me just brainstorming, I don't know that any of this is happening, <laughs> but that could be an option, right? Where like each of the areas that um, is making use of the certification we would have, could have, you know, that submit this paperwork to demonstrate like X, Y, and Z is in place. Yeah. That's a lot of moving parts. It's like a, yeah. it's almost like a chessboard, you know, and trying to move those pieces just to build this up. But I, I one think of the things I'm so excited about is like, I get to just be like, here's my opinion, but I'm not responsible for any of that. <laughs> <laughs> it like could not be more ideal to have like, uh, you know, there's people that actually are running it. It's, um, Dr. Mueller and, um, Dr. Um, AJ, um, Nikowski, they're running it. So, um, you know, they're the ones who ultimately have to like run those moving pieces. And I yeah. get to just be like, here's my opinion <laughs> based on my <laughs> background with different places. Cause I definitely wouldn't have the bandwidth to like do anything with moving. Pieces yeah. Right now, so, yeah, but no, that's awesome um, that you're part of that and that grassroots um, community. And I'm excited to see where it goes. Uh, where can people go to find out more about the IBAB? So I'll, I'll include this in the show notes too. There is a website. It's ibaboard.com. And then there's also, we have a Facebook page. I am doing the social media for right now. I volunteered to do that. Um, so the social media page is just, if you look up international behavior analyst board and behavior is spelled, um, in the American English way of, um, B E H A V I O R the U is not there. Apologies for that. I didn't create it. Um, <laughs> and then there is a Facebook group that we created right now. The group is limited to people who've expressed, um, support and interest in, um, you know, helping to provide, um, professional and, um, supportive, you know, content. So, um, if, if you think this is a good idea, but you want your voice to be heard about like ideas you might have, or like questions, um, that's what we're kind of limiting the group to because we needed a way for the professional advisory board to kind of see what like the broad, you know, 
supportive public was thinking about it. Um, as with everything, uh, there's going to be people that might not agree with what you're doing. Um, and you know, they're, they're fine to voice their opinions, nothing against that, but it doesn't help us in creating the best, most effective certification. If that's like, if we're constantly dealing with trying to, to answer the haters, (laughs) (laughs) group is more for people who like really are excited about this and, um, you know, want to try to help give some input. Awesome. Awesome. Well, that, uh, do you have anything else with, uh, to talk about, about the IBAB or, I mean, that's a lot of information, but, um, it sounds like a wonderful, um, grassroots community and I, I'm excited to see where it goes. Me too. I'm very excited. Um, no, I think we've been talking for almost two hours, so we should <laughs> probably, <laughs> I think maybe it's been more like an hour and a half, but you know, yeah. um, we could, I, like I said, all the time, we could just spend days talking. So I know I love it's it. It's been a while since we recorded. I know. I, I know. Um, I'm excited to get this out. Um, it's the eighth right now, but we might be, um, getting this out a little bit earlier. So, um, I'm, I'm excited to see the reaction from everyone about couch camp and just, uh, your responses. So if you have any feedback or if you would like to, um, talk with us about anything that we discussed in this episode, um, you are more than welcome to message us um on the do better movement page or um we also have the do better uh move uh instagram account as well so all right well thank you for listening to today's episode go forth on your quest and do better